everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, it's Saturday. I hope uh, hope I didn't hope I didn't drag you out of some something important or early, uh, you know, so, some extra sleep or anything for this. Ryan, I could never imagine what I'd rather be doing on Saturday. And you know, it's been so long since we saw each other. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. It's amazing. You could be in the same uh, hotel or meeting rooms for three days and and actually not have time to record a thirty minute podcast. So here, here we are on Saturday. But there's obviously a lot to talk about. We did. Uh, there were a ton of earnings releases. We're going to touch on a, on a handful of them and also some some news from Apple and, and Cisco as well but I wanted I did want to start talking about the earnings um, because we're gonna talk about Intel AMD and Qualcomm and I believe they're they're all three pretty unique right you, sometimes you kind of uh, look at the industry and say oh well, everybody's kind of on this upswing or everybody's kind of on a downswing but they're it, it's definitely uh, different this time around if we look at Intel um, they're Earnings themselves were 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 pr- pretty good, right? In terms, of if you look at how much income they had and and what their margins were and and all that stuff, but they they definitely had some complications with that. What did you take away from, you know, record first quarter revenue of sixteen point one billion, uh, you know, huge data center growth, um, and then pretty good projected revenues? But obviously, there was there was some stuff hanging over them at the end of it. That's right. So. You know, we're not financial analysts, we're tech analysts, but I'm always uh, interested in the new stuff that, that comes out. And while some companies stay away from announcing new things at the same time as earnings, sometimes you you, you have to. And in this case, yeah, uh, Intel wanted to do a t- needed to do a 10 nanometer reset, moving volumes from second half uh, high volume manufacturing from second half 18 to uh, 2019 and and outside of that it was more than just you know some bump if you parse the words and read between the lines uh, and I wrote a an article about this on Forbes what I was sensing is a brand new strategy at, at Intel which is essentially decoup uh, the realities of fab economics a B uh, how it's so much harder to get uh, improvements in nodes and and transistors and decoupling product roadmap uh, from that. And <clears throat> you followed Intel for a long time, like I have. Yeah. But this is monumental. You know, I always considered Intel to be fab first and then design second. Whereas companies, let's say like AMD, were really design first, fab second. So this is. This yeah. is this is monumental, and and what it means is, uh, I'd expect a lot more R and D and focus on uh, packaging, uh, uh, you know, like we have with EMIB uh, today. Because if you're going to pull in different chips uh, with IP from Intel and non-Intel, you have to get really good at doing SOCs and and bringing different piece parts to the table on different transistors and nodes. To, to create a, a solution. So I'm really expecting uh, some massive changes at, at Intel, moving people around, maybe even some acquisitions of uh, companies who, who do packaging and, and very high-performance um, interconnects. Uh, what was yeah. your take? Um, 
it, it, it's definitely interesting, right? I, I think it is a it's a new strategy that uh, of this decoupling process, but it's obviously something that they didn't want to do. It's not it's something they were trying to push their way past uh, for a while. You know, if you look back at at ten nanometer from the time it was first put on the roadmap and, and what it eventually became, it's clear that that they di- they've just had difficulty getting it to work, and they've been having to delay parts and delay parts, uh, and they they realized that it was probably detrimental to the product line and they needed to find a way around it. And by being able to utilize different process technologies on uh, the same product, you know, using things like EMIB, that uh, those interconnects, those super high speed, you know, very low profile, uh, very efficient interconnects allows them to do some interesting stuff. There, there is some, There is some discussion about like, has Intel fallen behind on the process node technology, right? You look at TSMC, you look at Global Foundries, and those guys are are starting to push out seven nanometer uh, at the end of this year into early in the early 2019. And it's really not as simple. It's just the number that you see, right? It's basically since we moved into 16, 14 nanometer, the number kind of really didn't mean much. And it was all about the end product that you put together anyway. So regardless of Intel, you know, names there's 10, or if they, they skip that and they go down to seven, or they've got 10 nanometer plus plus coming out, it really is only going to be judged by what products can they build with That's it. Right. And, That's right. And, and these, these interconnects help that and allow them to work around any of the difficulty that they have, you know, come across over the last two years. Yes. Yeah. And I, I equate mentally TSMC seven nanometer with, um, um, Intel 10 nanometer. Uh, and there's a big difference too. If you look at the size of the chips, just the square millimeters, Intel's cranking out are, are massive compared to let's say mobile chips that might be 50, 70 square <clears throat> millimeters. Um, I'd be right. very interested to see, a TSMC pop out, you know, a 900 uh, square millimeter uh, chip. I mean, they're going to have to uh, eventually, as these GPUs from AMD and NVIDIA make their way into that into that node. Probably in the middle of 2019, maybe um, we'll see. And this also kind of ties into another piece of interesting news that happened from Intel is that they hired Jim Keller. This past week, which is best known for his time at AMD as one of the architects for Zen and uh, I believe Athlon before that, but he also had stents at Apple and most recently at Tesla. And he has now left Tesla. He was in charge of their uh, everybody. I don't know if it was ever super stated, but it was you know specifically stated. But uh, he was in charge of you know their their internal SOC design for autopilot and AI. And now he's moved over uh, to Intel, where he is kind of head of SOC design. Architecture falls with Raja Kadori, both CPU and GPU. Jim is going to be in terms of like the architectural integration of all these parts. I imagine some of that will be in process tech. Some of that will be in using these new interconnects to build the best possible products after it. Uh, but it, seeing him go to Intel, I think, was pretty surprising for many people. Oh, it's a dro- it's a jaw dropper for me and. I've followed Intel for almost 30 years, and they have always been a promote from within group. I mean, very yep. rarely, uh, particularly in senior executives. And I and I think Murphy, uh, the the president and and run runs client and TMG, 
and platform engineering was really one of the key changes here. And I think they're doubling mm -hmm. down. And I don't, I don't think this is going to be the last uh, person to to come in from Intel. I think they're they're looking at literally, hey, what do we need to do to bring something new, a new look into the company? And they're scooping up as as much talent uh, as they can. Yeah. I, I, I'm really interested to see what this turns into. It's It's been kind of a long time since Intel has had what I would call a recognized engineer, maybe since like Muli Eden uh, would, would come up on stage, where there was a name of the designer that you would know, that you wanted to hear from. Not that they didn't have really intelligent guys, they didn't have great engineers and designers, but a name that somehow had a cachet about it uh, that brought with it as much excitement as the product itself. And Keller was that at AMD. Raja was that at Radeon Technologies Group. And now Intel kind of moving in that direction, I think, uh, points us in in the mindset that Intel has uh, for its future, yeah, for I, sure. I think uh, timing is an important piece. If, if Keller was brought in for architecture, I mean, you're looking at you know, three, four years before uh, you'll yeah. see an impact very similar to what we saw with Zen and then Ryzen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but I think when it comes to uh, th there are decisions on SOCs that aren't three to four years out might m might be more like uh, two years, and you mm -hmm. know we might see cancellations, we might see uh, some other uh, types of things. So I'm looking forward like you to see uh, what what really happens with this. Yep. And as we speak about Ryzen, that takes us into, <clears throat> excuse me, the AMD earnings here, which uh, were substantial. They, they kind of hit it out of the ballpark with this stuff this time. They were, uh, let's see, 1.65 billion, 40% year over year growth on the revenue, third straight quarter of double digit revenue growth, uh, margins up 4% year over year, uh, graphics and compute revenue increased 95% year over year due to Radeon and Ryzen. Wasn't all perfect. Uh, the enterprise embedded semi custom group was actually down 12%. AMD talked through that, being that hey, yes, Epic Epic is still growing, but it wasn't growing fast enough to offset the reduction in revenue from kind of the 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 tailing trail of uh, the semi custom designs with you know Microsoft and, and Sony for their consoles. Um, but it's this is this is proof that Ryzen is having an impact that that Radeon and Vega had an impact, even though Ryzen was clearly more uh, well received by media and and all that, and it didn't have availability issues, didn't have crypto hanging over its head. Uh, both did very well to to really grow this company. Um, any thoughts on on that? Like how just how strong of a of a quarter this is showing, or the, actually best the whole year? Yeah, I I characterize this as a blowout. Uh, quarter and as much as I, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, make fun of Wall Street for not seeing what's just completely obvious to me and and probably you, uh, it was it's very simple. Um, AMD brought out an integrated graphics version of Ryzen, and that is the sweet spot for desktop. And for for AMD, desktop channel is is the sweet spot and. 
they drove the heck out of volume and, and even though it's a lower price point than Threadripper or Ryzen 7, it drove a tremendous amount uh, of revenue. And you know, the, 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 it's only gonna get better uh, for AMD as they, uh, they put in the second generation uh, Ryzen and then uh, this yep. quarter I'm expecting a tremendous amount of new notebooks and, and even Lisa Sue commented about just how many uh, designs that uh, new designs that that she's expecting. I think uh, in total, I think there's 60 Ryzen designs, and if I recall, 25 uh, new Ryzen mobile designs coming out. Yeah, yeah, you know, Q2, Q3 is really the big boon for for notebooks, new designs, new products out. Uh, back to school still still is that that watermark. I think they'll grow a lot there, and I also think. You know, Ryzen 2000 series, their second gen of that, is going to attract a lot more of these OEM builders, even for desktops and all-in-ones and small form factors, that they saw the iteration, they saw the execution from Ryzen 1000, they have more confidence in it, and... We'll we'll see that build out uh, throughout the year as well. Yeah. One one thing I did know. Okay, oh, yeah, I was I I was disappointed in in Epic, in that uh, when you have a, a new brand new product that that started off with very small volumes, you should expect triple digit growth. Uh, and yeah. Even my gosh, if you look at the the focus of where early Ryzen plays is in cloud, and then you see. Uh, Azure with uh, 43% growth, oh sorry, 93% growth, and around 45% growth at AWS, the public clouds are growing. Um, And and I I think it's really a testament of of where Epic really is, and uh, uh, I think it's here now, but the platform maturity uh, is, I I think, limiting uh, its growth right now. But that says nothing about the value proposition. It's still a killer value proposition, and I do still think uh, it's going to do well. It just got a little bit of a slower uh, revenue uh, increase than than I had earlier expected. Right. One of the other interesting things that the that the market is most interested in, I am interested in, is kind of what the crypto effect is on all this cryptocurrency, altcoin mining, all that stuff. They did say that their estimate was that 10% of total revenue for Q1 came from cryptocurrency sales of GPUs. So 1.65 billion takes you to 165 million in cryptocurrency specific sales, which is which is pretty high. Now, if you follow the mar- if you follow that kind of weird market at all, you'll notice that pricing is down. It's uh, you know, inventory of GPUs is becoming more stable online for for gamers to buy, which is good news for for that market. Um, but AMD is forecasting that for the year for 2018, they expect that to be lower mid single digit for the year right meaning that sales will will lessen from that now i would argue that my opinion has always been that i think that's actually a net positive for for amd and for the radeon brand because people who are buying radeon for gaming are more likely to become uh, brand affiliates they're more likely to be repeat buyers they're more interested in the experience they're going to get out of it uh more regular upgrades as long as cards are available the, the crypto miners bought a lot but they didn't care who they were buying they were buying for cost per dollar efficiency only um so i, I think there's a little bit of uh 
you know, <clears throat> question still about how important this is going to be and, and whether or not it will be a net positive or net negative at the end of everything. But uh, I still thought it was worth noting. Yeah, I, I kind of see it just a tad different. I mean, I think it's a net. I mean, they still forecasted 50% revenue growth, you know, with that potential uh, decline. AMD is incredibly conservative now financially on what they do. I don't remember the last time they missed their numbers. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really, it, it, it's a knit that it's baked into that 50%, uh, 50% growth. Right, right. So they're still forecasting 1.725 billion for Q2. Um, so you're right, but 50% growth uh, year over year would be fantastic. I just, I wonder how much, they don't really want to break down how much of it's driven by the graphics group versus the compute group. They kind of always lump it together. So I'm just always interested in what that, what that breakdown uh, could be moving forward. Well, I wonder how, well, but either wonder way, how the good. heck you even track that, right? The crypto sales. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's incredibly difficult. You know, I'm sure you've got some GPU, some some graphics uh, research firms that look into it. You know, they they basically have to ask all their AIBs, hey, who are you selling to? And and they can kind of base it on driver installs. You can look at Steam install data. There, there's a bunch of different things. All of them. Uh, not particularly accurate, but maybe uh, when combined with more I- intelligent statistical people than I <laughs> can come up with some some reasonable assertion. Uh, but yeah, I think it's 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 probably smart. AMD has always consistently downplayed the value uh, or the importance of the crypto market because they knew it's volatile and because you knew it could change and move around. Right. So uh, that 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 was always a smart move to make. Let's talk about Qualcomm. They also announced their earnings. It wasn't a busy week at all. Um, they had some interesting stuff to say, in particular uh, in regards to the relation of QCT, which is the technologies group, and QTL, which is the licensing group that you uh, had been diving into. What did they have to say there? Yeah, so uh, some interesting stuff. And, and for, first, I'll talk about how they did uh, in earnings. I mean, QCT did did well uh, with a 6% growth and these are all the Snapdragon SOCs and modems and RF uh, front ends, uh, Wi-Fi chips. Uh, had a 23% improvement in profitability, which uh, which was nice. Uh, but then yep. uh, QTL right had extremely low numbers because uh, Apple is not paying their one billion dollar bill every quarter. <laughs> so yeah. So so net net, um, even though uh, QTL. Uh, revenue uh, isn't high. It, it's it's an incredible profit driver because you're talking about license license fees, not uh, pieces of silicon. But like Intel, uh, Qualcomm introduced, uh, uh, you know, made a really big announcement. For, first of all, that they're decoupling standard <clears throat> standard essential patents, and those would be patents that. Uh, anybody would need to do uh, a f- 3G, 4G, 5G modem, or, or even an, an access point, and what are called non-essential patents, which which might be things like uh, how uh, uh, your finger and your screen interacts uh, with the device. Uh, Qualcomm has mm. some incredible patents that go back to the invention of of the smartphone itself, and and this was a big one because. Essentially, the basis for most of the lawsuits that are out there uh, and uh, any of the international jurisdictions, that's been one of the main complaints. And it's been one of the main Apple complaints that 
that, hey, we don't want the non-essential patents. We, we want that to be split. Well, guess what? They, they decoupled uh, them. And the other announcement, which it was interesting, this uh, wasn't actually news, but nobody knew it. Uh, they capped the standard essential patents at $400. And essentially what that means is, is that $400 bomb cost of the smartphone um, is the cap of what you would pay license fees for. Okay. So, and it's not the street yeah. price of the phone. It excludes packaging, VAT, taxes, cables, um, software, license fees, and stuff like that. Uh, and then <clears throat> what they reiterated was 5G pricing, which was, hey, 5G is the same price as, as 4G. We're going to take you up to uh, Cat 15. And then they uh, lowered the percent of the standard essential patents from 3.25% to 2.275%, which, which, which again... Uh, the uh, which by the way was the uh, China NDRC pricing that was negotiated uh, with mm. that government that they applied to the rest of the world. So that removed yet another barrier or or reduced the barrier of people who were complaining, uh, saying that their prices were too high. So uh, you know, global picture here, uh, Qualcomm is is doing a lot proactively what these lawsuits uh, have been asking for. So I'm hoping that the level of risk declines for them. Do you think this has any direct impact on Apple and their their licensing dispute? Or is this for everybody but Apple, this, essentially? This, uh, this speaks directly to Apple. Um, Apple doesn't value uh, intellectual property from from Qualcomm like the other vendors and uh, so they've lowered the price on that not only did they lower the percentage no. price they also uh, took the cap of the uh, standard essential patents from $500 to $400 and they decoupled the SEPs from the NEPs which which was a big part of of what Apple was uh, complaining about as well so the short answer is yes uh, I, I think what it means is that uh, Apple has one less leg to uh, stand on in, the, in, in their complaint. Right. That'll be pretty interesting to see how that changes. Obviously, uh, Qualcomm would love to be able to get not only these licensing fees going forward, but the what they have been, what, what Apple and others have been withholding uh, for quite a few quarters as well to to bring up these QTL revenue numbers so that. Uh, you know these financial results just in general look much better than they did this quarter because it's always interesting to have that discussion we were there talking with them and you know they they seem to have done very well in on the technology side and everything is going well in terms of developing the licensing program but if at the end of the day if your biggest customer isn't paying uh it's really hard it's really hard to to make that net income uh do what you want to do which is to to increase so we'll we'll keep following that um Speaking of Apple, there was a story posted on CNET, uh, I believe on Friday, that Apple has been developing an AR, VR, XR, MR, whatever you want to call it, headset at this point, um, that is an an extreme 
it's an extreme technological level because it's slated for 2020 essentially right so they're they're still two years out from something like this uh it is called codenamed t uh 288 t288 for whatever that's gonna that's whatever that's gonna turn into, uh, they're basically saying that they're gonna have 8K displays per eye. It's gonna be built on a chip, uh, an Apple-based chip, obviously, but using five nanometer technology. It's kind of more AR focused, but AR that can become VR if you just black out the rest of the screen. Um, there, there's not a, a huge amount of detail in the story, but there is a lot of information in terms of. You know what the expectations are. Consumers are expected to buy 22 million VR AR headsets this year, according to CCS Insight, and that could go up to 120 million units by 2022. So clearly, this is something that Apple has been looking at. They've they've come out with AR Kit. They've they've talked through their strategy for this. How much uh, validity do you put behind the idea that they are going to have a dedicated unit for something like this uh, within two years? So first thing is is Apple likely has 10 of these projects going on at the same time. Even when, even 20 years ago when I was doing PCs, we had multiple different designs and concepts running in, in parallel because if you wanted to be ahead, you couldn't just put all your eggs, eggs into one basket. So I think it's a very valid thing. What I really like about this is it, uh, it, it is talking about, the bar of technology that's required to make consumers happy or actually when i look at the specifications here with the box connected maybe to to your waist uh, it's more likely a, a commercial device but i like the 8k per eye that that is to me what it's going to take uh, to make this thing uh, a really good experience and then Likely, uh, uh, Y gig or or some type of uh, UWB uh, type of uh, a thing that that connects it there. I think ultimately, Apple would want it to go to your iPhone in your pocket, not something that's on your waist. Mm. But I think this is all about the minimum criteria for Apple to have a good experience. And you know, I've had a criticism of of the other AR and VR ecosystem partners is that, uh, in my opinion, they keep cranking out a bunch of crappy experiences that uh, that that um, mm-hmm. really aren't moving the needle. I understand you have to walk that you know, then crawl. Sorry, crawl, walk, and then run. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's weird. I uh, little slip up there. Some people might be trying exactly. to do that, but, but yeah. I'm glad to see that this spring up, and and none none of these leaks are are some coincidence, right? If I were to put money no. on it, I think uh, Apple may have thrown this out there to to put a little interest, maybe even hire some folks. Uh, I think I saw on Twitter uh, Apple was looking for uh, UWP uh, UWB uh, engineering people, so maybe this is a way yeah. to get. Uh, great millimeter wave uh, wireless people in there, right? I, I, it does. The this report does say that um, the the first version of this would be with an external box connecting to the headset through Y gig, uh, and then a second generation version called 802.11.ay would boost speeds and range to make the technology more attractive for high end VR headsets. Um, it's it's interesting 
that this wouldn't be what we've seen coming from Qualcomm and their partners is free, uh, you know, untethered headsets that have all the compute in the headset itself, which obviously makes you it forces you to balance battery life power consumption heat generation uh, all those types of things when you have an external box which is essentially what the first generation of vr was this iteration you know the pc based uh version but you were tethered to it by cords and cables the 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 extra performance and the capability to offset battery life and all that uh on the compute unit that is external is would still be a huge advantage um but i i still i don't think you know, unless Apple has the ability to, to actually perfect these wireless technologies, which have not been great, because when you get into something like 60 gigahertz, it doesn't want to pass through even, you know, your own body. Um, so uh, it, it makes it very complex to have a wireless solution that works very reliably and something where latency cannot skip a beat in a VR headset without inducing, you know, nauseous, nausea. Um that they would go that route. I still feel like this would be something that is embedded in the device itself, but uh, we apparently have two more years before we'll know for <laughs> sure. And I am with you. the 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 eight k uh, the eight k screen is awesome, right? But but pushing that many pixels requires a lot of graphics power, a lot of graphics power. And um, it, it, Apple just recently started developing their own GPUs. The A eleven was their first. Uh, custom GPU that they've made. So how many more iterations, how much faster can they get on a five nanometer process in two years? Uh, we'll be up. We'll, we'll wait to be, wait to see. But I, I do think love them or hate them. What Apple does is they don't put out a product until at least they truly honestly believe that they have made the best version of it that exists. Now there you can, you can argue on whether or not that's actually the case, but that's what they believe. Um, and them holding off on on VR AR up to this point, I think, uh, has does create create a statement for the rest of the market on where it's at. Well, so. as this as these the years progress, they've they've already started on uh, AR and VR kit, so they're already getting the developers ready. And you know, we we both know that doing AR on a smartphone just is is not great, right? The ultimate is a set of goggles, but you, you have UI and, and user experience issues that, that, that this adds. And I just hope the yeah. rest of the industry doesn't allow Apple just to walk in and, per, you know, have a perfected, uh, experience. Um, and you know, yeah. Apple isn't, you know, let, let's face it, notorious. They, they don't hit all home runs, but when it comes to, uh, uh, how music is consumed, uh, premium notebooks, tablets, uh, iPhones, tablets, and watch, right? Yep. Uh, th- yeah. th- that has become the standard for usability. Yep, agreed. Uh, one last thing for us to talk through this week is the Cisco WebEx announcement. Uh, basically, that Cisco Spark converging WebEx and WebEx meetings. What does this do in your mind for share teams and assistants? Yeah, so, so first off, a little uh, a little context. Uh, there are a bunch of big companies like Microsoft and Cisco and Google and smaller companies like uh, Slack and Flock. Uh, the holy grail, you know, the reason why why this whole workflow, sorry, this whole collaboration and and uh, uh, teams discussion is so important is because everybody wants to uh, redo workflow in in the business. Uh, right now, business systems are dominated by people like uh, SAP, 
um, and uh, Oracle applications that are used inside of big businesses. And the notion here is that uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, Cisco, uh, and even, gosh, Facebook is in there. Facebook for work is, yeah, keep all this corporate data in the database, but we're going to do these really simple workflow tools where, you know, on-ramping a new employee uh, that, that might take a, you know, a programmer six months uh, inside of SAP or Oracle uh, to do that, it might take you five minutes inside of, of one of these new tools. So that's the backdrop. That, that's why I'm personally spending a lot of, of time on this. So what, uh, what Cisco did is they merged. It was really, part of it was about simplification. So they're converging uh, Spark uh, with WebEx and WebEx meetings. It's, it's one big tool right now. You'll never see the word Spark, so that's the branding piece, but okay. they improved. If you're anything like me, you know you do two or three WebEx meetings a day, and uh, they've really improved uh, video and really improved their apps. Uh, when it comes to integration uh, with, let's say, uh, WebEx Teams, and WebEx Teams looks a lot like uh, Slack. I I was uh, looking over your shoulder uh, yesterday and, and realized you were using uh, Slack. Uh, Teams is is one of these chat-based interfaces that uh, they're doing uh, a bunch of integrations in with Slack, with Microsoft Teams. Now, while hmm. I, I, I like that they're integrating, my, my worry about WebEx Teams is that it seems like there can only be one epicenter of the earth, right? You have to start with Slack or Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts Chat and then add things as opposed to how many mm. people are going to start off with, let's say, uh, uh, WebEx Teams. And don't get me wrong, that the technology is, is great. Uh, they even gave uh, some heads up on a what they're calling WebEx Assistant, which is really like a a Siri for business, and I do think there's room for a better business uh, assistant, but uh, interesting, hmm. uh, interesting uh, none, nonetheless. And I think the final thing they did, uh, which, which was kind of cool, is they brought out a piece of hardware called WebEx uh, Share that I kind of liken to an Amazon Fire Stick or a Google Chromecast for work that can turn any old TV in a conference room into a place that you can you can run all the WebEx services I talked about, uh, WebEx Teams, WebEx huh. Assistant. Uh, actually, uh, nix that, not Assistant yet, because you have to have a an optimized microphone. But all these different services. Oh right. So uh, interesting stuff for them. Very cool. Very cool. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for us this week. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at thetechanalysts.com. You can find you know the RSS files, links to the iTunes or Google Play Store where you can subscribe. So you make sure you get all of our episodes. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan Shrout. Patrick, you are at Patrick Moorhead. Uh, that's it. We will uh, see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for joining us. Bye.